Hello, I'm David Hughes and this is Rogue Commentary, a new podcast featuring audio commentaries for interesting movies by the people who made them. On this episode, we have an exclusive feature-length audio commentary for The Reckoning by co-writer and director Neil Marshall and his co-writer and star Charlotte Kirk. The film was made in 2019, the year before it became more relevant as a global pandemic engulfed the world, but it also has a deeper resonance when viewed through the prism of the Me Too movement, with its exposure of powerful men preying on women, which along with common or garden misogyny and religious hysteria led to the witch hunts of the 17th century. Charlotte, of course, is no stranger to the dark forces exerted by powerful men, some of whom have faced a reckoning of their own, and she is currently fighting to be released from a gag order silencing her and many other women in Hollywood. Needless to say, as with most audio commentaries, there are spoilers aplenty, so if you haven't seen the film, track it down and watch it before digging in. As always, you can listen like this, as a podcast, or, for best results, cue it up to the film, pausing not on the logos, but on the very first frame of film. Frame rates differ from territory to territory, so it might slip out of sync here and there, but it shouldn't spoil your enjoyment. Ready to play? Three, two, one, play. Okay, so we're off and running. No, uh, no, no I, I, I turned the volume down. To okay. just, so it's not to, oh, I don't want it on the uh, audio track. Okay. It's all good. Uh, haven't done one of these commentaries for a while, so it's nice to uh, get to talk about this stuff in, 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 in real time, as it were. Um, so this is, uh, this is The Reckoning, and we wrote this in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was two scripts that we wrote back to back that year, and this was the second one. Um, the story came to us by uh, a friend of mine, Ed Evers Swindell, who um, I've known for God, coming on 30 years now. And um, he came to us with the idea of doing a, a, a witch hunt, um, witch trial movie set in England. And um, it was more of a sort of Carrie-esque type story where she eventually turned out to be the kind of the witch everybody feared she was. And she started zapping everybody with lightning from her eyes and stuff like that. And it all, it all just went a bit kind of OTT. Um, and as much as the, the vague concept appealed, the, the more outrageous elements did not. And, uh, but Charlotte and I kind of took the story and, and ran with it a bit um, and did a lot of research. You know, we went, we went into, there's a lot of research to be done about this period. Um, and the more we researched, the more interested we became in telling a story more based on truth uh, and make it more of a psychological horror film and about persecution and also like make it relevant to today that it's witch hunts are as relevant to today as they've ever been. Uh, they've just taken on a different form, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, with this, this cancel culture and things like that are the new form of witch hunts. So, yeah. So that, that was the kind of the basis for it. That one, that shot. So it's opening up now with um, Grace reading the letter. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but I guess I guess we. Can. I think it's too late now. I think everyone's going to be. This is this is a spoiler track. Yeah, no, but people that are actually. But it, was, to but it. it was intended that. Um, so this was going to be a way more kind of elaborate, oneer of an opening shot, um, that would sort of take her all the way from. Uh, Oh yeah, because there was yeah. So sorry, I've forgotten. The young there girl. was uh, previously the, the the death of the mother uh, that you just saw get dragged out of the house in black and white. Um, there was a scene before this 
which involved an introduction of Sean Pertwee's character, seeing her mother get burned alive, and then you kind of push in on the face of this little girl and then pull out and it's Charlotte and we morph her and it's Charlotte and then um, carry on with this whole shot of her reading the letter and getting the sword and going outside. Um, and, I, and I imagined it as this very kind of elaborate wanna to open the film with, which I like doing wanners. They're, they're fun to set up and, and they look good and they carry the story when they're done well and things like that. But unfortunately, because of the, the budget that we had, we couldn't afford a steady cam um, and ended up with uh, what, what essentially was two burly grips with a camera on a plank of wood between them. And th that created a few problems like trying to get out of the door. <laughs> Along with the rain, so we couldn't do, you know, yes. continuity as as with the rain. Out the door and the rain, the camera was like just everything. So it made it pretty tricky. So it's kind of a semi oneer that got broken up into a few parts. But the point is, it tells the story. Yeah, this was actually my favorite day, I think, of the whole shoot. I think it was so powerful and, and it was really emotional and, and it still is so powerful, you know, with the, what Chris did with the music on this scene, with that when she's yeah. obviously it's intercutting now, but the burial in the rain. Um, yeah, all the way from the inside of the house walking out and then the whole burial stuff in the pouring rain was all one day. Yeah. Uh, very close, very near the end of the schedule. It was one of the last yeah, things we did. Yeah, it was one of the last things we did. And yeah. I, was, I was determined to have rain for that scene. It just seemed so yeah. appropriate. Again, I think we, you know, we could only afford rain on one day. So it was like, okay, let's do it on that day because that was the one that mattered the most. Yeah. Um, and see, it was very, very hot as well. We were shooting um, in Hungary during the height of the summer in July, August, August, June um, time. And it was, um, yeah, extremely hot. Extremely <laughs> hot. It was up in the 40s. Yeah. Um, and the rain is a hangover really from the original sort of incarnation of the film as more of a, a bleak wintertime movie set in, or shot, sorry, not set, but shot in the UK. And we did do some scouting in the UK, but couldn't really find the locations and financially it just wasn't really viable for us to do it there. We ended up shooting in Hungary in the middle of summertime, which changed the whole aesthetic of the film. And uh, I decided to adopt more of a Western approach to it and, and embrace the whole dustiness and the sunshine. And uh, yeah, we you know because because it's a film that has it's got horses, it's got you know people with big hats, as everybody carries pistols around with them. Mm -hmm. We've got a farmstead, and we've got the local town and the corrupt sheriff. Yeah. And it just seemed to me this this is a western. This is a once upon a time in the west meets the witchfinder general. Visually, I mean, and, and actually, that year, sixteen sixty five, that year, that summer, there was, was a, a heat. Was there a heat was a heatwave. Heat so it's authentic. Very authentic. Oh, you, you, sorry, you, you've got to tell this story about the, the sword swing. Oh, God. <laughs> go on, you go ahead. Well, so we had, you know, so we had a real stunt, I mean, real stuntman. We had a stuntman hanging from the rope, and the only sword that we could find was basically a big steel sword. There wasn't any rubber copies or anything like that. So we had this big steel claymore, and you're swimming it, swinging it around in the rain, in the mud, and each time you did a swing, you, without realizing it, were getting closer and closer to the guy on the rope. And we had the rain pouring, and I think there was some music playing. And you got to this point where literally you swung the sword and missed his head by like an inch. And that's when I had to run in and call cuts. Yeah. Because you couldn't hear that. But it was you know. so good you couldn't call cuts sooner because you were just getting exactly what you wanted. <laughs> it was like, 
how far can you take it? <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And uh, hitting the stuntman in the head was was too far. It was a bridge too far. Yeah, that was that was. Yeah, I didn't know. I did not know. I could not see a thing in that movie, Rain. And uh, the music got the better of me, and the emotion, and the, yeah. the in the moment. And, yeah. And, the, and this whole sequence, this opening, like the opening ten minutes of the movie, is it, it plays almost like a like a symphony from from Chris Drake, our yeah. amazing composer, who's just it just builds and builds and builds and builds um to this climax i remember when we first sat in his studio and he was like wow what are we can do with this it's like nine minutes long how are we going to do this yeah. and then we, he was giving us some you know some sounds and some instruments and i think it was the well every character has their own kind of theme and their own instrument does yeah. it don't they yeah and, and it's because as, as a sort of one-man operation he's made it sound like a sort of 60-piece orchestra i mean yeah. it's in absolutely incredible yeah and it's it's so big and epic and cinematic I mean, the whole thing is like the the intention of the film was to make something very cinematic. Yeah. Um, that's I think all my work has tried to embrace that concept. The photography by Luke Bryan is absolutely beautiful. Ian Bailey's production design, shooting it in in widescreen, yeah. um, and with Chris's music, and you know with the with the beautiful costumes and everything else. It's like I just wanted to make a really cinematic piece that would look good on the big screen. Ironically enough, of course, you know, cinemas were going to be shut down because of a plague. So, who yeah. knew? Uh, we did <laughs> not we know. We got scuppered by a plague. It so was not we, a PR stunt. Yeah, <laughs> when we were when we were shooting this in 2019, we had no idea, you know, what was going to rock the world the following year, and how that was going to affect us. So. Yeah, but, we did all this know. stuff the last week, didn't we? Because all the all the stuff in the dungeon and. That was all the beginning of the shoot and the stuff in the farmhouse and, and all this stuff, the opening of the film was pretty much the last few days of the whole shoot. It was it? it was the last six days or something like that, because uh, Ian was concentrating on building the, the cottage, yep. um, which was the most significant build that we had uh, in the whole movie. And um, the reason for that was because we were going to burn it down. So we had to build it from scratch and he did such an amazing job, this That's beautiful, so authentic, um, looking cottage um, so that ended up being the last all this stuff was the last stuff that we shot um, but we were very lucky to say well because we should couldn't shoot it in the UK um, and by chance by doing a bit of Google search location scouting um, found this back lot a studio back lot in Hungary that had um, the vast majority of sets that we needed for this movie already semi-built i mean they weren't in great condition but um the structure structurally they were there we had the village we had the castle we had the dungeons we had two taverns mm -hmm. um so a lot of the stuff that we needed and in in belly went in and kind of refurbished the whole lot and made it look incredible but uh you know without that it would have been very very tricky very tricky um so so this is kind of yeah so this is the music really reached its climax here um you know, Chris Drake doing his proud. And this is kind of like the opening act, yeah. I guess, the prologue of the movie. And I, I suppose for me as a filmmaker, it's the first time, this film is definitely the first time that I've kind of, A, been a little bit more artsy, uh, especially in terms of the editing and playing around with the timeline. Um, flashbacks within flashbacks. Yeah, I, I, I mean, some of it was scripted, some of it was done in the edit. That entire opening sequence was very much scripted. That, that was always going to be a case of jumping backwards and forwards in time. Later on, we do some sequences where we do a flashback, and then within that flashback, we tell another story, which is another flashback. Um, and that was not kind of planned 
that way, but um, that came out in the edit. Yeah. So yeah, getting getting a little bit arsy in the old age, trying to <laughs> mess around with timelines. Um, and yeah, there is there is some sequences. The the very very first things that we shot for the movie were uh, myself and a, a two man crew went down to Dartmoor or was it Exmoor? No, Dartmoor. Uh, with a camera and just grabbed some um, sunsets and some landscapes and things like that just to help establish more of a geography for the film and more of a sense of the country that it was in, even though most of it's shot in Hungary, but we did two days in the UK. So um, this is where you first about cast as well. Yeah, this is where you first meet the squire. Yeah. Very lucky. Last of the Mohicans is one of my all time favorite films. So I was very, very happy to get to work with uh, Steve Warrington. Um, brilliant in Last of the Mohicans and, and equally brilliant in this. Yeah. Um, We've got a great cast. Young Callum there. Yeah. With his donkey. <laughs> he was great. Yeah. Just everybody, everybody was just so committed and everybody was just brought so much to it. Um, so, yeah, with Steve Warrington, we, um, we haven't seen. We haven't seen Sean yet. We'll get to him in a bit. Yeah. His name came up, but uh, obviously he's not in the opening sequence now. You did say that um, there was an opening sequence originally that had uh, the Witchfinder, Sean Pertwee, in it. And I feel that the film is much stronger, perhaps you felt the same way, for holding him back because there's that promise that, oh, you know, the big guy's coming. Is that kind of why you made that decision? Um, it certainly is, is a part of it of like, you know, you want to hear about a character and talk about a character and build up a character before they make their entrance. So that certainly is a, is a great dramatic kind of tool to use. Um, we also felt that it slowed the film down, having like a, a sequence followed by then a, the, the sort of prologue with the burying of the husband mm. um, just felt like we weren't getting into the story quick enough. Um, so it just made a lot more sense to delay the, the, the story about, uh, or the, the visuals of the mum uh, getting burned alive till later on when she's telling the story anyway because also that would have made telling the story kind of redundant because the audience would already know it so mm -hmm. um so it worked out much better that way i mean the first cut i think was really long it was over two hours wasn't it the first your first cut of the whole film yeah very i was two like two hours 20 minutes or something was the very first cut and, and a lot of you had your horror friends come around and they they said it's actually it plays it's actually more scary when it's shorter all these extra scenes just kind of diluted it, didn't it? There's that little shot there as a little homage to Once Upon a Time in America of the uh, the the material over the bed. So ah. if anybody gets that reference, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it is that thing. Like if, if you really want some some helpful hints on your editors, like get a bunch of other filmmakers in who will just be kind of brutal in their honesty about mm -hmm. it's just too bloody long or it's too slow or this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Um, I want to mention here uh, where she says, because we didn't actually want it, we wanted to leave it ambiguous that, you know, is she a witch or isn't she? A little signs here when she says, uh, I'm with child, it could mean, how does she know that? How There's little hints throughout the film where, you know, a lot of people think she is a witch because she does things and, you know, knows things that maybe an ordinary woman wouldn't know. Yeah, is she a witch or just taking the piss? Yeah. And that's, I suppose that's like the first real jump scare moment. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Poor old... Uh, screaming in Poor old head. Joe having uh, <laughs> you screaming in his ear. And, and one of the problems we had was that every time you did that take, he, he kind of jumped because yeah. you were so loud and right in his ear. 
Um, so, he, so I think the CGI guys had to do some trick to make it look like he didn't didn't flinch. But it's really sad as well. It's like a jump scare, but it's actually really sad. You know, when she goes to her baby, and it's yeah, this is a cool moment. She's she's wearing her husband's hat and. So these, these are the kind of Western elements, you know, the the, the, the dust coat and the hat and the, the horse and sunset and wagons and yeah. stuff like that. So oh, those sheep were a nightmare, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they we, we did, like one thing I, I do remember that one thing we never considered when we were writing it was like, how is she going to ride into town when she has a baby? Yeah. And so we came up with this kind of papoose concept. And this is um, first day of shooting, by the way. I think we got away with, actually. I think it kind of makes yeah. sense. And then, yeah. Because, exactly. like, she couldn't really balance a baby in one hand and ride a horse with the other. It was going to get a little bit ridiculous. And we wanted her house to be isolated and pretty far away from the town. Yeah. So, yeah, this was the first day of shooting. Um, scorchingly hot that day. And uh, we had a little bit of trouble with the horses and the sheep. But uh, <laughs> a bit rusty on the first day. Yeah, you know, but the, the sheep were not doing anything they were meant to do. So they were basically avoiding being in shot wherever possible. Yeah. The horse bolted on one occasion. Oh, the horse ran away with me. I, yeah. I never, I've never ridden a horse before. So I did some lessons and I absolutely loved it. But I was still pretty scared. And um, yeah, first shot, literally the horse just galloped away. I was like, oh, and the, 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 um, Everyone was like, are you sure? You sure you want to do that again? He, I was like, no, I'm going to... It's good. You literally got back on the horse. I'm going to master this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. There was a moment there where um, uh, Kate's husband says, uh, oh, don't get too close. And then, oh, never mind. And that, that has an extra frisson now. Oh, that we've that actually has... experienced the don't get too close phenomenon. Yeah. Thanks like to COVID. They, you know, they, we were talking about social distancing back then, but... Yeah, it does. It does have that extra sting now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and people are saying with the whole, you know, I don't want to wear a mask. That's the devil's work. Sounds like someone from 1665. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, generally, there's a there's a lot of this that has this extra resonance, and and obviously, you know, um, uh, the, the 350 years on, that there's so much that feels very contemporary about this story. Yeah. I mean, not just the, the plague stuff, but the kind of, you know, the Me Too stuff, the powerful men taking advantage of, of vulnerable women. But I did wonder what um, was the, uh, the original angle that you wanted to come from? Neil, had you always wanted to make a film that was kind of set in this period? Because part of me thinks, wow, I can't believe Neil Marshall hasn't made a, a Witchfinder movie until now. It just feels so right up your alley. Or was it the story that kind of inspired you or did it come from the idea of wanting to do something a bit plaguey like Doomsday? It was primarily, it was primarily the story uh, more than the setting in a way. The uh, there's a, there's the a couple, couple of little things that we kind of missed there was uh, the, the guy painting the crucifix on the door in red, that's Charlotte's dad. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, her, her mom uh, appears later on as well, so <laughs> it's a very family dad. family affair. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was the story primarily because there was a point during the writing process of like, we're trying to decide whether should we set it during this plague or yeah. earlier on in medieval times and make it set during like the Black Death because it was going to be easier to find castles and things that fit the bill for that kind of version of the story. But I also felt. I'd seen a lot more medieval movies and this period hadn't really, it's just kind of post civil war England. I haven't seen a lot of movies set in this time beyond other than Witchfinder General and things like A Field in England and stuff like that and Cromwell and, and all that stuff. 
So it's, it's a period that is, doesn't get covered a lot. And that Puritanism of the period as well, I thought worked better with the whole, you know, the fear of the devil. Mm -hmm. um, and it really was rife then. And, and we saw a little bit earlier on, it's a really interesting fact that um, we, we found as part of the research and I just couldn't resist. When she rides into town, there's like a bunch of cats, uh, corpses hanging up. Um, I wanted to have a lot more cats, but we could only get fine two. Um, <laughs> I completely forgot, but like the, the props guy brought in, uh, it brought a, a carry bag to set that day because I said I needed a dead cat. And he brought a carry bag to sit today and he opened it up and it was this squished cat that had been hit by a car and it was like roadkill and it stank. And we were like, please take it away. What were you thinking? Um, so that was kind of amusing. But the point about the cats is um, the, 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 the country folk or whatever believed that the plague was the work of the devil and was being spread by witches. And cats were the familiars of witches and their means to communicate with the devil. So they went on a kind of rampage of capturing and killing cats in their thousands, believing that was the cause of the plague. Uh, but of course, by killing all the cats, that allowed the rats to spread even further, which spread the plague even further. So they kind of secured their own doom with their paranoia. I just found that a, a bizarre piece of historical irony um, and had to sort of make reference to it. But I guess what with was- some dead cats. You know, why? what compelled us to write this story, you know, to do this movie. It wasn't really yeah, the plague, that was just the backdrop. Oh, sorry, that's a big moment there of the, the switching of the drinks. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was just a really powerful story to be told and how relevant it is today with, as you said, the Me Too movement and, you know, where have we, how has society changed from England 1665 to 2021? There's still witch hunts, there's still, men and some women exploiting their power Still misogyny and yeah. paranoia and you know the works so not a lot's changed a little super a little moment that, there with the eyes opening and that that's that's another thing is it's interesting like did grace see that was it from grace's point of view maybe not maybe that was just to the audience do you know what i mean it's we wanted to keep it ambiguous so you know is this in her head or isn't it is it literal isn't it so and a, lot of, a lot of people who read the script, like it was kind of 50-50. Some people assumed that all the, the, you know, the devils and such like that were very literal and others assumed mm -hmm. that, that um, it was all in their head, that it was, you know, it's more of a psychological thing. Um, and I, I don't want to say one way or the other. I think I'd, I'd rather people take their own, yeah. you know, take, uh, take what they wanted to take from it. I mean, there was one shot that we had to cut and we absolutely loved it, but it was, I think it's actually well, right it's now. Kind of, it's, it's the end of the scene. Yeah, we'll, we'll show you. Sort of an additional scene, but, and it involved the devil. It would have been the first appearance of the devil in the movie, um, actually sitting in a tree watching her uh, after she's um, dug up her husband and taken the ring from his finger. Um, and the, but the reason that we cut it was because she doesn't actually see the devil herself. Mm -hmm. It's the devil watching her. And just simply by doing that, it makes the devil literal. It makes it like, okay, where the devil is a real thing and he's sitting in the tree, as opposed to being a, fig a potential figment of her imagination. Right. I was like, is there no way we can just CG her looking up? <laughs> is there no way? Because it was such a great shot of the devil as well. It was such a scary, freaky shot. But um... I'd say it would show up in a DVD extra, but I don't know if anybody does those anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so... Here we go. 
So this is where it was. This is where the, the shop would be no in a minute. No shoes. <laughs> where was that castle, by the way? That we missed that awesome shot of the of the castle. Uh, it's a it's a CGI. It's a matte painting. Wow, that's it, amazing. It's based around the the piece the, the, the castle set that we had in Hungary. Um, the actual plate shot was shot in uh, what's it called? I think it's like the Golden Valley or something like that, just outside Bristol. That we grabbed on the way back from uh, mm -hmm. Dartmoor. We grabbed this this plate shot, and then the CGI guys, the brilliant um, Sean Whelan at Filmgate, put uh, the whole castle in town and stuff. Yeah, we, 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 we shot that on the first day, actually, potentially, um, that shot of her looking down. But it just didn't work. We reshot it at the end where it yeah. literally was a cliff. Oh, here we go. This is... I, like, I, do, I do... I love the whole kind of Western vibe that yeah. we put into it. That I mean, if people were wearing, like, Stetsons and carrying six shooters, it would, it would just play as a Western. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when when people think of England, they just think, oh, and especially in films, it's gray showing and rainy. grey and rainy. And it's actually really nice to have... And, it, and again, because we said before, it was historically um, accurate that there was a heat wave that summer and there was a heat wave the following summer, which was partly responsible for the fire of London, which, which took place the following year. Yeah. So, you know... England had a couple of bad years there. <laughs> the Great Plague followed by the Fire of London. Not yeah. so good. Although they say that the Fire of London was one of the things that helped to rid London of the plague, partly because it got rid of the rats and partly because it, you know... Because it got rid of London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's the solution, just like burn down the entire city. Well, yeah, we've got rid of the plague, all right. <laughs> this is a really defining scene. Just, to, yeah, I mean, just in terms of... of how his manipulation and he's kind of a sadist coy about it but he's actually a sadist. you see when the film goes on yeah yeah absolutely he's a full-on brutal sadist i mean he has no morals whatsoever um and i loved i loved and we'll see this later on in one of the conversations but i loved the fact that the two villains have two separate um agendas have very different um I guess it's like villainous ethics or... Yeah, reasons why they're doing it. You know, Sean well, Pertwee's yeah. character believes he's doing the right thing. He actually tortures himself, and that's actually what they did. These, um, what do you call them? Um, um, it's just the flagellation stuff. The, yeah. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the whipping yourself and all that stuff. That's, yeah, which is kind of common practice. He really believed she was a witch. He truly believed in what he was doing, and he was doing the right thing. I mean, he slightly manipulates... Uh, slur and so forth but for the most part um whereas um squire pendleton is just a shit <laughs> yeah he just, he's just wants to see shit. her get tortured he's, yeah i mean when he tells a story about how his mum was his dad beat his mum to death for looking at another man or whatever it is and he's there's a, there's no there's no feeling in it at all he he yeah. is uh he's completely cold and, and heartless and i think it's actually really important is that it's not like all the men in this movie are bad and all the women are good. I think that was really important for us that like Edwin here, his character, he's an amazing character. He's a good guy. He's a good person. And Ursula, who's a woman who's, she's actually one of the bad ones. She kind of redeems herself slightly in moments, but she, for the well, most she's, part, she's, she's a baddie. She's a fanatic. Yeah, she's a baddie. But I wanted to, want to be clear that we didn't want it to, you yeah, know. We didn't want to make it so black and white. And, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Edwin's really got you know, a, a, a heart of a lion. He's just uh... yeah. But if you look at the story from the squire's point of view, he's just taking what's his by right. I mean, he happens to have the you know the sadistic streak in him and the misogynistic streak. But as from his point of view, he's just like yeah, I'll get rid of you know. I he's taken a liking to the woman. He'll get rid of the husband. And then she'll be his, you know, you can you can cover your rent by other means. And I thought, oh, God, you know, Taylor's old as time. You know, it yeah. all makes sense from his point of view. He's like, oh, I'm sorry you were born into a station that's lower than mine. But that's the way it is. You know, that's that abuse is is just perennial, isn't it? Yeah, and I th- I mean, he says that very thing earlier on where he just says, you know, it's just tough shit. I was I was I'm, I'm me and you're you and, and that's just the way it is. And <laughs> this yeah. is funny, this bit here. When uh, you wanted to cut just here because you didn't want to see Edwin and the donkey um, in yeah, the shop there. Yeah, if you keep on rolling this take. It gets very comedic. The, the, <laughs> yeah, there's a man pulling a donkey trying to run across a field. Just That's nice. That <laughs> kills you. A fader. I do love Edwin. He's, he's you know, so, got such a lot of heart. Uh, he reminds me yeah. of kind of, um, uh, is it Sully from, from Game of Thrones? He's got a little bit of that kind of vibe about him. Uh, Sam, yeah, Sam. Sam, yeah, yeah, Sam Tully, yeah, such a sweet, sweet guy. Quite a few people have actually said, like, visually, this there's elements of Game of Thrones in this visually, and some. I think maybe because it's just, it's rich with atmosphere, and it's like it's beautifully shot, and yeah. you know, lots of fire and some bad men doing bad things. Yeah. Um, oh, here we go. There he is. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. So the first time you see him is in a flashback when he was very much younger, and he's. Yep, he's doing the same to his mum, and that's young Grace. Slightly different style to the beard and things like that. Um, young Grace, there. Yeah, young Grace. Grace's mum. I hope that's. I, I hope that's clearly established. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear, and and the biggest hat we could possibly uh, create. Um, <laughs> we designed that hat specially for him. I I I, I came up with a sketch for a massive hat, and yeah. Sean loved it. And I just think it's really unique. I remember you looking for all the and, costumes. You're like, no, it needs to be, no, it needs to be bigger. No, taller. And, and in a weird way, it's kind of like a parody of a, of a witch's hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's the witch hunter wearing it. I just, I kind of like that idea. You're, so, you're a hat yeah, guy, we, deal, aren't you? I love hats. I think, I think, yeah, hats are great for movies. Definitely. I mean, I like hats myself, but, you know, when you've got no hat, so this is, a, this is a flashback within yeah. the flashback. Yeah. Flashback within a flashback. Which we didn't plan when writing But I think it. I don't think anybody ever has any problem with it. It's like, okay, well, the husband's alive, so clearly that's a flashback. Yeah. And then her mother's being burned, so that's a flashback. It's like, mm-hmm. it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I love the photography on this stuff. It's just like single, single source lighting. Yeah. Lovely dark shadows. It's just... Uh, that's exactly what you were... Stuff. Firelight. I like. I light everything by candles and fire. Yeah, it always looks so good. Everybody looks good in it as well. You know, a, a Joe. Uh, oh, she confessed. We changed this a little bit here. This line. Yeah, Joe. Uh, Joe, wonderful, wonderful actor. Yeah. So lucky to get him for this role, even though we strung him up from a tree and buried him alive. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. He was up for all of that. He's like, no, it's fine. I'll do it. No, you don't need my stunt double. I'll do it all. Yeah, he yeah. was great. I'll hold my breath. Well, here we go, and this is a, this is a pivotal moment to show that spreading the rumours, right? He didn't get what he wanted, so therefore this is, this is Facebook right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to spread I'm going to spread a false narrative about this person because I want to destroy them and uh, for, for my is, own this reasons. Is Facebook and the press at work that literally, yeah. you know, you you 
you throw something out there and people pick up on it and Chinese embellish whispers. it and change it and yeah. suddenly it grows and suddenly it becomes, oh, there's something weird going on at that house to she's a witch, let's burn her. And it doesn't take long. And yeah. I, you know, I really wanted to kind of show how that but works. It just goes to show how scary it is because it's even more so today, right? Back in those days, they just had a tavern to do it in. And today, as you said, there's Facebook, there's social media, there's internet. That, that's just the worrying thing, you know? spreads a lot quicker now in that previous scene i was going to say you can you can kind of see where grace gets some of her um self-possession and self-determination from with her mother saying like you know always stay true to yourself let no one tell you who you are you know you can see where that kind of defiant spirit comes from you know yeah absolutely yeah, I, I think i think I also I really this... wanted to hammer that home that that it's like something that grace remembers from her childhood and, and is going to fight to the bitter end to um, you know, not, not give up who she is. Uh, I think that's been really difficult for Grace her whole life, that she, that I'm, you know, in the previous scene where she said she's a witch, you know, she confessed that makes her a witch. And it's that, that, double, that double side to her mum. And it was, it's just really difficult. And at the end, she kind of, when she sees her mum and she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I doubted you. I think partly why she's doing this is because of her mum. Yeah. She doesn't want his and it's to not, and, and the way that was, was that the way that I meant it was not she's saying, I believe she's a witch, but it doesn't matter. It's, yeah. on, it's on the record that she confessed. So therefore, everybody believes she's a witch and nobody's going to believe the truth. Yeah. It's it's now a, a matter of rec public record that she's a witch. Um, yeah. This scene was uh, sort of semi inspired by uh, the scene in Close Encounters where. Barry gets abducted by aliens. Nice. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, favorite scenes. Oh, that baby did not stop crying. We had two babies. One was just cried constantly the moment we took the baby away from its mum. And one was just, just didn't cry at all. So yeah. we had two, oh bless. That was fun just doing, because by my, my usual film standards, there's not, uh, there's not a huge amount of action in this film, but I did enjoy the action sequences when we got to do them. And uh, um, I think they, they liven up the film, sure. I think the way that this film works is way more of a slow build than anything I've done before. So that when you get to the last act, you really feel a sense of not just relief, but it gets, it gets your blood pumping when she starts taking revenge because she's just been so relentlessly kind of punished and, and abused yeah. throughout the whole film. She's has because it's such a rough time. She's earned it. Yeah. And this this was actually one of the nights when originally, uh, I think as written, it had rain, but we could only afford the rain for one scene. So but I like this. But, the, the but we played lightning. it in a slightly different way. And it was kind of there's a there's a sequence in the movie Tombstone where um, they're out in the streets and there's lightning flashing, but there's no rain. And it's this idea that the storm is kind of coming but hasn't quite got there yet. Um, so I like I, I loved it visually to have the lightning but not have any rain and just have wind i thought it was very cool plague masks so yeah the, 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 so yeah masks they didn't masks, really masks do much a big thing they didn't really do much did they really because you those masks they didn't really protect you actually well i think the, the 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 original thought that they were stuffed full of um herbs and 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 things like that to because they felt that, uh, the feeling at the time or the knowledge at the time was that the plague was passed through smell yeah. So if you if you smelt something bad, it was the plague. So if you had some nice smells coming in your nostrils, you weren't going to catch the plague. 
Um, so that's what those things were full of. They were full of, and also they were for dealing with dead bodies, which stank. So I guess it was to do with that as well. But a lot of people just, I guess the plague doctors were just for that, weren't they? But quite a few people wore them. Yeah, well, we made them look a little bit extra cool. But those those masks, they look so awesome that I just, as soon as they appeared, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, how would you not love to shoot those, you know? Yeah, now we, we had those designed and made and found the, the costumes of these beautiful leather coats with the top hats. I thought it was like a really interesting look. And it is based on, roughly based on actual um, Plague Doctor's outfits. We just embellished it a little bit. So this sequence was uh, the la one of the last things that we filmed because um, we had to burn the house down. Uh, and that was kind of a, a one take, one take deal. That house had been, um, yeah, that house had been standing in the Hungarian heat for several weeks and was dry as a bone. So once once it got lit, it was it just went up like a uh, like a thing that goes up, <laughs> <laughs> like a balloon. And Ian was great, wasn't? It's so nice not to see digital fire like when you you know actually burned the building there was a part of me that's sort mm -hmm. of celebrating the fact that it's actually a real thing that's burning you know yeah i've seen i've seen a few things recently that have digital fire in it, and it's like it looks like digital fire and yeah um something like this was like for me it was always we were always going to set fire to it and this is an important scene and um, you see with her husband's he's her, her best friend's husband Yep, come a couple later on, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of people can't be trusted, and just fear, just you know, fear drives people to do bizarre things and turning against their friends, and but also power, right? They're gonna if you're gonna choose between the weak duckling and the powerful person that can, you know, take your home away from you because he, he was a squire, they're gonna go with him, aren't they? Not many, literally, there was. And also we wanted to show that it was really important that she actually inspired other people as well. And uh, you see that later on as well, how she did have a effect that yeah. made a difference. Yeah, well, it's an ongoing thing. So, and even yeah, though it's, it's not based like, yeah. on a particular person, it's based on true events, right? It's based it's, on an amalgamation of, of, of real events, the, the tortures and mm -hmm. the trials of various witches, because there were so many. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there goes the house, there goes the neighborhood. And the horse did not like that scene under the fire. So scared. Molly Pryor, mentioned earlier. Yeah, this shot reminds uh, me of- um, Dummy hanging up on a rope. This shot right here where she sees the, here, this shot where she's walking in, reminds me of that moment in Gladiator when he, you know, the first time where he- When he arrives in Rome. Yeah, that yeah. moment there. So this, this, I mean, those, the, all these things that this is the seeing the castle for the first time actually, um, was all part of the same backlot. Just this amazing backlot, and then as we tilt up, then it becomes a matte painting, um, a set extension. But all, yeah. all of this was just such an incredible find. It just gave us so much. Because pretty much of the the castle was there. It was just the top part of the castle that was yeah. no longer there. And it was just it was just applying historical logic that. If medieval, you know, medieval castles around today, then they must have also been around back then, and they must have made use of them. Um, so, yeah. And what the castles? Spent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the story context, not the not, mm -hmm. not us, but for us, these are all just wonderful sets that, you know, yeah, Ian kind of rebuilt and revamped and just made look amazing. 
and there's this quite a so that throughout this thing there's there's a few familiar faces from my previous films in the tavern earlier on there was uh carl uh McEninch, um who was in uh, doomsday was the last time i worked with cal um susan doomsday playing a bad guy in that uh in here we've got uh, mark ryan who i worked with on black sales we got uh, Rick Warden, who I think the last time I worked with him was on Doomsday as well. So um, yeah, it was great to have some some of the old gang back um, to work with again, as well as Pertwee, of course. This is an important moment. All it takes is a word. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's just it's just establishing that complete control that the women were, were living under then. Yeah. Um, and the fear that it all, all it did take was a word, a word in the wrong ear, and you could end up on trial. And if you ended up on trial, it was pretty much a no-win situation that you weren't you weren't going to get off. And that was half the half the um, issue was when we were finding um, some of the the trial um, situations, like you know dunking of the the witches. Um, a lot of these women actually, all of these torture. It was lethal. It was all lethal. They were going to die one way well, or another. Yeah, the women generally died during the tortures because they were designed that way. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, we'll sorry, sorry, sorry. Jumping, jumping ahead. <laughs> Got to do some spooky stuff here. Sorry, I was going to say about Luke Bryan. We, we, I don't think we've talked enough about what, what an amazing find he was. Had you worked with Luke before? Was he somebody you brought from, from the game? No, no, no. I met Luke. Oh, hang on. There's some dry ice coming here. This is my my homage to '80s uh, or thriller video and stuff like that. I love dry ice, and you don't see enough of it in movies these days. Um, yeah, it was finding Luke was just just a real real find. I mean, uh, I think our line producer was a bit of a bromance going on because we just immediately like bonded over the same kind of movies and and uh, the movies that we wanted to make and the movies that we loved. Um, and yeah, I met with a number of, of potential DPs and me and Luke just clicked instantly. Um, it was mainly over our love of films like The Sword and the Sorcerer, uh, <laughs> which, uh, you know, an awful lot of people haven't even seen, but like, we, we rave about it. Um, so yeah, so there was things like that. So we just connected instantly. And then it's, it's a combination of that plus what you can do with digital cameras now, the low light filming because uh, we filmed on the Alexa and the ability to just shoot with just a few candles and a little bit of light here and there and make it look so beautiful. It's just incredible. So that, what you got there was like this, this fleeting glimpse of uh, Grace standing in a field and that becomes like her safe place mm -hmm. when she's being tortured or in, in any times of trouble, it's like psychologically, she just goes to the safe place of her field and nature and peace. Um, and that's kind of how she deals with it. And that, that again, that was another thing that came about in the edit. That was like a random shot. We had, we were filming one night and the smoke that we put out in the field, like settled in this really weird way. And, and I just said, quick, quick, get the camera out and Charlotte run down the field and stand in the mist. And we just rattled off some footage and, and thought, you know, I've no idea where it's going to go in the movie, but let's let's put it in there. And we had a walk toward camera and get steadily closer and do do a few different things. And during the edit, it was like I love this notion of 
that she has a safe place that she just in her mind goes to and we started to set it up there and it comes in again and again throughout the film yeah it's really good that you found time to kind of do those extra things because you know that movies that are made on a budget it's so hard to find any time to do those extras and in fact when I was watching the film for the first time I, I, I did think um, some of those exterior, some of those landscape shots, they can't have been done during the, the shoot because you just wouldn't have time. And of course, uh, as you said, they were done beforehand. But how, how long was the actual shoot? Uh, it was 27 days. Yeah, and you're in pretty much every scene, Charlotte. So that must have been pretty grueling for you, especially in the, in the, the heat. Yeah, it was emotionally and uh, physically, but mainly emotion emotionally. It was just getting to that point every day, as you can see. It was it had to be at that that ten, that emotional ten every day, and it, that that was the hardest. The physical stuff, I have to say, I like. I really enjoyed the horse riding, the the sword fighting, yeah, you know, the you know the, the fight stuff that I did on my own, and um, I loved it absolutely. But the physical side, it was just the emotional side that was very draining. This is a bit of a um, Braveheart moment as well, where she sees her yeah. another husband. Shame, another shame. There's your mom. There's, There's John. Yep. <laughs> Joe hiding behind everybody. And he Because all the extras were Hungarian, so what they were actually shouting on set was Vich, Vich. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of Vich going on. Yeah, a lot of ADR. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, he actually did here and it was really painful so that first this is ouch a, yeah. was real that that's a happy accident that is uh she got you know he hit her with a whip i mean obviously it wasn't a real whip but it it elicited a, a real flinch from you and it's like yeah. boom it sells sells it so well uh, some people liked it some people enjoyed it in the you know the observers oh look at that i mean this kind of sets up the, something that is ongoing throughout the film that I really wasn't interested in um, doing a torture porn movie and, and dwelling on the torture that much. It's like, um, I think if anything, that's probably like the most torture in one sequence that you see because we had a few whips going on, but um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't want to dwell on it. So I just kind of rattle through that. You get the point. Some people in the crowd are laughing. Some people in the crowd are crying. Yeah. Um, and and Grace is it's just remaining um you know determined and, and not giving up and he just you know, he, he, he he comes just to push her buttons even more and she and, finds um, out about moorcroft finds out a lot of moorcroft's coming so it's that whole thing of building up okay we we've seen that he burned her mother alive what does this guy mean to her and you know let's let's set him up and then we give him a really epic slow-mo entrance uh, Slow-mo with the epic music, the with, uh, organ. Chris Drake's organ music playing over the top of it, which yeah. we'll see in a second, which is great. And there was actually another scene of a second day where she was being flogged, uh, being flogged and then like pelted with fruit and stuff like that, um, where Kate comes up to, to speak to her. Um, but it was one of those things that we kind of just felt ultimately that was unnecessary. Um, we wanted to speed up the story and nothing you know it's like two two days of flogging ultimately what's the difference so uh narratively speaking so again it's, it's that western vibe here comes the the and the white horse yeah the, the stranger on 
the white horse with the big hat. Yeah. Riding up to the, the saloon. It's usually the, the protagonist usually has the white horse and the antagonist is the, the demon black horse, but we kind of wanted to change that up here. Hold a pale horse, quoted later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a shameless excuse to use that quote, really. Um, <laughs> this is a, it's a good quote. I mean, you know, it's been used in a few movies, but it's a good one. And, and you know, this was kind of an opportunity to do sort of almost like a traditional Western um, showdown within, in the saloon, yeah. just with a you know a little bit, a little bit of difference. But uh, you flipped this in the edit, well, didn't you? Yeah, that's yeah. So that was the thing. Um, I, I flipped this entire scene um, left to right in the edit because originally people couldn't tell that it was a different tavern to the previous tavern because geographically it was similarly similarly set out. Um, so I, I, so Sean's actually a mirror image of himself in this one. Well, you can tell, but um, it was just—it was a simple trick, just and it just allows because there's nothing written, there's no there's nothing that shows that it's backwards. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it just helps visually sell it as a different tavern and introduces Ursula, our kind of ninja witch assassin. And I, I thought this was a really fascinating character—the idea of a someone who was accused of being a witch who got burned and somehow survived it and now totally believes brainwashed you know that totally believes in the cause that she's been she's been purged of her, her witchery by him he's a savior and she's become a fanatic and it was an opportunity to get some gratuitous blood and guts in there you know because there hadn't been enough in the movie so far is there ever a concern when you've got people calling other people witches, that, um, that you might be sort of edging into Monty Python and the Holy Grail territory? Was it kind of a conscious effort to kind of have to keep out of that? It, it's, it's, yeah, it was constantly on my mind. You don't want to um, evoke that, do you? You don't want to evoke the, the com comedic value of, of, you know, she's a witch. I know, it's like, oh, how would you avoid it? I mean, all you can do is just play it as it, play it straight, play it as it is. Um, but once anybody's seen that movie, and seen Python doing their witch scene, it's very difficult to get around it. But I think we did. I don't. I mean, I can't say that it's on my mind when I'm watching it or whatever. But at, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and as far as the writing goes, I mean, did, was it a while? Did it take a while to kind of get into the style of that sort of 17th century vernacular? I mean, not just using you know libations as drinks and stuff, but actually the the sort of the way that they would actually talk to each other. Um, we try, it, it's always finding that halfway ground of like, we didn't want to go full on, you know, what was it, the witch, where everybody speaks to each other in a language that barely resembles English. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to do that. Um, but I did want to have a few sort of, I wanted to make it sound authentic to the period. I always use something like Last of the Mohicans is a, is a good uh, example, or, or even, even uh, Braveheart or whatever. It's like, they sound right for the period. But they, but but we understand exactly what they're saying, and you know, and there's a few words and things that that's thrown in there, like libations. But um, it's not being ridiculously authentic. And once you tune into that frequency, it kind of gets easier as you go along, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think your, your audience gets used to it. But there's nothing. I don't think that the language is anything of a problem in this one. I think it's pretty real. No, I, I mean, I meant in the writing. That, that once you've kind of done your research and, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah once once you once you start in that 
that mode, it does. Yeah, you you kind of dive into that world and it becomes easier once you once you've done it a few you know you've done a few pages and it starts to flow from there. Yeah, and then it, it's completely different if you're writing something contemporary, and then you 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 know you, know, you can use way more contemporary language and uh, and then that flows from there. It's it's interesting. There you see the kind of um, the, the difference in the motivations of the villains as well, that Moorcroft completely believes in what he's doing and he doesn't see, you know, he doesn't take pleasure in it, he says. And I, yeah. I kind of I kind of believe him as well. I mean, right from the beginning, I thought, you know, Pendleton was the was the sadist and that, you know, this guy is just like calamitously misguided, you know, in the worst in the worst way. Yeah, but Pendleton's kind of like, huh, what? Like he just doesn't really sort of get he doesn't get his agenda either. Like you actually care with what? And I think that rings a difference between sort of Vincent Price in Witchfinder General. I always thought he was using the, you know, God and, and the church as an excuse to do the horrible things there. But, you know, Moorcroft's kind of all in, isn't he? Yeah. No, I, I think he's a genuine believer. I that was a great he's... little flashback. Again, that wasn't in the script. You added that in the edit. Yeah. Seeing her mum again. There was a little bit earlier on, um, I forgot to mention, um, I think it was either the wagon or or Moorcroft was riding into the castle courtyard and we had to raise the drawbridge and we managed to get that drawbridge to raise once and then it just died on us and would never yeah. raise again. Um, but and the wagon it's, broke. It's, it's, a, it's a good example of why it's often worth filming the rehearsal. Um, so we drove this wagon into the courtyard and for the hell of it, we filmed the rehearsal um, and we got it. We got a pretty good take out of it. And then when we actually set up to do the first take, the wagon crashed into the side of the castle and the wheel came off. And it was our last shot of the day. And it was like, right, that's it. We can't do any more. End of end of story. Yeah. Thank God we shot the rehearsal because then you know we actually had the shot and we needed it. So that's that's low budget filmmaking for you. It's like sometimes you just gotta move on. Technically, she didn't actually see the devil there. I mean, she saw. Did she just turn around and pray? So. Did she see it? Or was it in her head? It was a devil literal. Again, it's it's leaving it ambiguous. I think I think it could be just as much a product for imagination. Yeah. Because she sees it and then turns away as opposed to not seeing it at all. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of the shot of the alien coming up behind Newt in the yes. in the yeah. the aliens there. <laughs> yeah. 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 And again, it was just trying to do stuff practically of like, well, how can I have the devil come out of this little puddle on the floor? Um, you know, we ended up building a, a, a tank and in the floor and filling it and, um, you know, doing it, doing it wherever possible, as much practical effects as we can. I mean, that's, I always think it looks better. And, um, when it does, it does, it really does. I, lo I love these two, um, these two jailers as well. They're, they're a couple of characters, um, yeah. Mark Ryan and Bill Fellows just, uh, wonderful characters and then this was like a, a again this I, I can't remember was it in the script the day one day two thing i don't think it was but again with the two um you know mark and bill both of them one again one's a sadist one actually he kind of redeemed redeems himself at the end he actually feels sorry for her the edge later on he says well, he lets her go, is she he? really a witch you know he starts to have doubts yeah yeah but yeah, the day one, day two thing was, I guess it was really just to get a sense of how long the trial was lasting. And then, yeah. you know, not, not to not to slow it down, but to mark the time that this is what she's, this is what she's enduring. 
think you'd already uh, you've established somewhere that that Molly only lasted two days of his kind yeah. of administration, so it it means that oh, we can see that she's kind of holding on. Yeah, she's going to outdo outdo Molly. Um, that way, he ripped off the necklace. There, I was like, oh, should we had a flash of flashback of a quick flash of Joseph putting it on? You're like, no, keep <laughs> it stay in the scene. <laughs> yeah. And Sean is just so so kind of menacing to all this. Yeah. How can you be menacing in that hat? It's it's only Sean could could do that. Carries it off. Yeah, no, he was he that was one of the, I don't know why, but he was like he wanted to wear that hat. It was it's authentic. Uh but he was very keen wearing the hat. So I think he kept it, didn't he? I think he has oh that bodice that he's got there as well, that jacket, the jerkin, I should say, that he's wearing. It's incredible work yeah. on that. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic stuff. Oh, the nuns. Uh, the nuns the, are always scary. It's the first time you see. Yeah, that whole device. We built that whole kind of device. I think I think there's a little bit of a sword and sorcerer nod there with the X-frame thing. Um, but we built that from scratch, and you spent many days kind of strapped up inside it. Yeah. It's quite uncomfortable. And we see a flash again in the middle. In, in just... Yeah, she goes to. Uh, They've already whipped her. her now slowly taking away her dignity. Dignity and and everything. But again, you know, you're obviously sort of wrestling with walking that fine line between, you know, making it titillating for the for the wrong element of the audience and sort of playing into the hands of the the kind of you know men who are doing this stuff as well. It must have been quite tricky to keep that balance during the torture scenes and such. It it definitely it definitely was of not of not getting carried away with that kind of stuff. It was also like I think in a way we we had our own gauge on set between with the characters because like Steve Warrington's character is kind of looking, you know, he's kind of looking at it and start to and kind of enjoying it, and then everybody else is not enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of if if he started to enjoy it too much, we knew we were going in the wrong direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> As a character, it was like he he represented like the worst aspects of the audience, so you know we didn't want to make any of it titillating in that way. It was trying to just be kind of raw and honest. If you actually yeah, look at what what they're doing, that the idea that they sort of they want her to confess, um, you know that she's in league with the devil, etc. I mean that sort of. It, none of it stands up to any kind of logical scrutiny, does it? Because if God is supposed to be the judge and they see themselves as God's instruments, it's like, you know, as soon as you kind of apply some sort of reason or logic to it, and this is supposedly, you know, somewhere between yeah. the Reformation and the Age of Enlightenment, it's like, what the hell are you doing? None yeah. of it makes sense. Well, I don't think any of it did. I just think that um, they could foist this kind of bullshit on, on us, you know, uneducated populace. Um, who were, were held in the thrall of, mm. of the church, you know? This was important here. I, I mentioned about, um, you know, we should mention London and what's going on there because this wasn't meant to be set in London. So this scene, I, mean, yeah. I really like this scene. Um, well, this, this again was about their, their two different ideologies, one of just brutalism and sadism and the other one of, of some kind of conviction. You're absolutely but right equally, about... Equally evil. About the... Um, yeah, there's a no-win situation and if they are the yeah why didn't they let god decide ultimately that's, that's a, such a good point actually it boils down to 
power that they wanted they wanted to be god yeah i don't know if it was 100 clear but when the witches examined when the witches sorry when the nuns examiner what they find is a birthmark on the back of her neck um and i'm not sure if it was 100 clear that that's what it was but that yeah. was the, the birthmarks were exactly the kind of thing that you know these these witch hunters would call the devil's mark mm -hmm. um it could be anything it could be a boil it could be a birthmark but more often than not a, a birthmark uh that would they would use it could even be being left-handed yeah left-handed redhead uh you know old have a mole on your face it's like people use the slightest excuse uh just to make up any reason to, to call somebody a witch um old women a lot of old women just persecuted by neighbors who kind of wanted to get them off their land quick so they could take over their land so you know it's just some poor old widow or something like that was like yeah. get dragged before That's the what happened to Molly Pryor. yeah that was that was kind of the story with molly Pryor that her neighbors poisoned her cows and accused her of killing her own livestock oh there he is there's the man himself in in what the fabulous ian white who's like seven foot tall um i worked with him on game of thrones and he came in and he auditioned for the devil and it, and it was as much to do with his physical appearance as it was to with his voice he has a voice he sounded just like christopher lee and and i thought that's just so perfect for for a this movie because it is in sort of in line with sort of hammer things and things like that um but the devil as well was like oh what better than somebody the devil who sounds like christopher lee um <laughs> so yes so ian was just fabulous and and the makeup effects on him um just just phenomenal uh connell palmer um worked from a, a design by paul gerard of the devil that we'd come up with and connell kind of took it to the next level and yeah i just i love the devil design you didn't want your devil to be red or have you know have horns and like yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do a red horn devil, but he definitely had to have horns. Um, so yeah, but it, it was horns in keeping with kind of the whole the goat sheep looks, kind of vibe. Yeah, sheep, but he actually looks ill. <laughs> looks like he's got the plague himself. Yeah, I wanted him to be pallid and and slimy. Uh, so he does look sick. He looks, he looks like he's yeah also got the plague. You just missed a good line there from uh, from your Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You know the the jailers. What if she's innocent? Does she go to hell or do we? It's like, yeah, that's the point, mate. Exactly. <laughs> you said a mouthful yeah. there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, oh. those those two characters are very much kind of like the uh, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this movie, the observers. Yeah. Yeah, and the no sleeping thing gave me a little wince because it reminded me of Guantanamo Bay. You know that kind of enforced. You know, yeah. nothing much has changed in three hundred and fifty years. It's still de de degrading and punishing each other. No, no, no. Yeah, that whole, uh, yeah, uh, constantly dousing her in cold water is kind of like waterboarding and sleep deprivation and all that kind of stuff. I mean, these were the tricks. So it's it's not really that surprising that she's kind of hallucinating, going out of her mind a little bit and seeing seeing the devil when they start talking about the devil it's like the I, the seed is planted in her mind and then it kind of comes to fruition when she's taken back to the cell um this was yeah, yeah. this is the witch's bridal and that was very very heavy <laughs> it was um and we had to get a new one didn't we because it was just well the, yeah the so the, the, the props guys came and he made one out of out of steel and 
and it didn't fit. It was severely uncomfortable and weighed a ton, so it was going to break your neck. So thankfully, like he went off, dashed off, and knocked a, a copy up in in some kind of I don't know what it was, um, plastic or something like that. But it made it it made it manageable. And then the spikes was uh, again. We had to figure out you know these tortures that weren't lethal, and there wasn't many. Yeah, because it's all the you know some of the tortures included like the, the tying somebody up, putting them in a bag with a rat, and throwing them in the river. Um, and if they drowned, they were innocent, and if they floated, they were guilty, and they would get executed anyway. Um, a lot of them involved devices which would like slowly split you in half, or racks which would you know stretch you and break you and and kill you in those ways. There weren't many tortures that were survivable. The, the whole point was that basically if you survived them, then you were evil. And if you died, you were innocent. Um, real you know, catch 22 on the tortures, except for the ones that we did find, which is um, the witch pricking, which is just about to happen here, which again is a real thing. They literally just would stab somebody multiple times with a, a small spike. Um, very painful, but not necessarily lethal. Yeah. Um, and then later on the pair, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, and the witch's bridle was a real thing as well. So, you know, that was you literally couldn't speak. Uh, it's literally something went yeah, in your mouth. Yeah, a thing that went down your throat, sort of thing went in your mouth. Wow, silencing women. I'm so glad that we don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's like uh, got out of that. Also, I was like, how am I meant to confess even if I wanted to when I couldn't actually speak? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the torture is the point, isn't it? But but then Moorcroft's got this new angle now, hasn't he, that we just missed, which is that Grace is responsible for Joseph's suicide because she's so evil that she drove yeah. a man to to commit the mortal sin of, of killing himself. So it's like, well, what chance does that give me? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, God. Never, never going to get out of this one. <laughs> More great lighting there. This, this got a very... Um, it feels like you're really at home in this world, Neil, that, that your Game of Thrones and Black Sails and all that stuff. And I know they're obviously all different periods and they're, you know, or, or fantasy settings, but you, you kind of like this sort of setting, don't you? It's not just that you keep getting work in, in that arena. No, I mean, I, I, I choose it in a lot of cases. I, I love yeah. historical movies. I love working in the past. And I think there's a fine line, a, a very blurry line between creating worlds and set in the past and creating fantasy worlds. I think, you know, to, to, to people in the present, these worlds are as fantastical as anything in like a sword and sorcery movie uh, or in Game of Thrones. There's, there's a very fine line between them. And um, I like making them authentic looking, but I do find a lot of beauty in them. And here's a perfect example um, yeah. of the ability to just stick a light through a window and light the whole scene by that. Wow. Um, make it look stunning. And, um, and yeah. I mean, this could be, Ty, could be Tywin Lannister there, just sitting at the table, couldn't it? You know, totally. Such totally. A beautiful show. Yeah. And, you know, the set and the furniture, and, you know, when it opened out into this wider, wider shot, it was just like, wow, I love it. Simple. Don't need to overthink things too much. But, you know, that's down to the cameras and the, the lighting and Luke and yeah, some of my ideas. 
So while we've got Sean, um, tell me a little bit about the first time you worked with him uh, quite a few years ago now on, on Dog Soldiers, Neil. Well, it's, it's funny because I was just thinking this actually reminds me of a scene in Dog Soldiers with him and Kevin standing at a window looking out um, when they're talking about turning, turning into a werewolf. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sean was was right from the beginning of writing Dog Soldiers. I knew I wanted to work with Sean. I'd seen him in a few things before and I wrote pretty much wrote the character of Wells for Sean and thankfully he wanted to do it and he was so kind of keen on it he said early on in the process he said yeah I'll do it um, and just get back to me when you've got the money and it was like two years later we finally got the money and we went back to him and he was like great wait you know I'll, I'll come and do your movie um, and he delivered such an, a such a great performance in that film and it was just I was just itching to to work with him again. I tried to get him in the descent, but uh, as the husband at the beginning, but that didn't work out. And then of course got back for Doomsday, and then unfortunately didn't manage to work with him again for for years until now. But it was great to bring him back and do a very very different part with him as well, playing the villain, playing this much more esoteric kind of character, um, but still off off camera. He's just such a blast. I mean, he he brought such energy to the movie and energy to the set. And I think for him as well, he'd gone off. He'd been for the past three years, whatever it is, doing Gotham. And as he's as he said it himself, is like being brought cappuccinos every morning and and swanning around the set and, and, and having kind of an easy time with things. To suddenly uh, be thrown into the midst of an independent film in Hungary with like a week to shoot his role and working hell for leather was a real kind of wake up call for him. And, and he said it was just like, it, it cleared the baffles a bit and um, was refreshing. He loved it. Oh, but what a part you wrote for him as well, you guys. Yeah, uh, he really got his teeth into it, you know, um, just amazing. I like the way, um, you know, when Joe's acting this stuff, he's he played it very cynical. It wasn't the Joseph that you saw at the beginning. It wasn't Joe, you know, Grace's husband. It, he played it as if he was the devil. Yeah, no bottom, bottom lighting there, whatever, just made him look more sinister. That's pretty awful there. Oh, again, in her head or not? <laughs> which, which I think with Joe is such a juxtaposition because he looks quite like Jesus in the in the the more sort of beatific scenes from the beginning. He's got that kind of physical characteristics of what you picture as Jesus, and then when he's doing his sort of devil's work later on. It's a really great looks, kind of. It looks like it looks like Jesus crossed with Kurt Cobain. Um, <laughs> That's true. And I think yeah, I think he went. To, I can't remember. He went on to actually play Kurt, Kurt Cobain either after this or just before this, because he is there's there is an uncanny resemblance. Um, but yeah. Just, oh, by the way, that um, uh, the the purged of evil. Uh, set piece that we 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 missed because we were talking about Sean. Um, I just think that's such an incredible piece of storytelling. The idea that he pulled her from the fire after she'd yeah. been burned at the stake, and therefore she was kind of okay to be among people again. And and she's kind of all in as well, isn't she? She's bought into the whole sort of. Um, she's you know, totally, she totally bought into that, and she's kind of. I love the fact that she's very kind of matter of fact. Like I was once a witch, and I I used to fornicate with the devil, but um, but you know. Uh, I was, I was well, the purification of pain. Yeah. Um, sorted her out, and then you know that's what she sees. Everybody else has to go through. Just somehow or other, you just got to get the devil out of you. Yeah. And she, she's a full-on believer. But then she starts to have her own doubts. She starts. She sees 
in Grace some strength, some something that maybe she didn't have um, this resilience, and uh, even she starts to have her doubts, but they only come to life kind of at the at the bitter end. But again, it's what Charlotte was saying earlier that um, that um, not all of the women were on the side of women. You know, you've got sort of Kate defending her friend and, uh, you know, Edwin being on her side, but then Ursula is kind of reminded me of one of those women who kind of, um, they kind of enable and, and co-sign the things that, that the, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins do, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, 100% enabler, yeah. And I mean, this this whole scene was was. You know, She's we, about to give up. I kind of wrote it. I can't remember how what I had in mind when I wrote it, but this notion of like just when we were staging it was having these people walking in circles around her, just to give it some kind of life rather than just be static. And then this notion of people just kind of appearing from behind her and messing around with all these perceptions. I, I think I had a lot of fun kind of coming up with these mind bending ideas <laughs> yeah and how were you in the, in these scenes um charlotte where you know there's kind of so many different setups how are you maintaining this kind of emotional through line while while grace is kind of wrestling with her her own demons even if they've been sort of you know suggested to her or or you know implanted within her almost it was it was difficult keeping keeping the you know this this emotional truthfulness in in every scene, and I don't think we shot we shot some of it in order, um, but but not the majority, right? It was bits yeah, and pieces. Not, so that we was try and group scenes together in order as much as possible. But the film was very out of order in terms of structure. But but a scene like this, where we you know we would run that whole scene again and again and again, and it's like an eight minute scene. Yeah, and you guys would just play it again and again and again so you had the opportunity to kind of go through that little roller coaster within the scene yeah of, of emotions and thoughts and feelings and all played on this notion that she's she hasn't had any sleep she's absolutely exhausted she's seeing things she's hearing things it's just it's relentless and edwin's really her only, her only hope as you see here you have hope yeah, at the beginning of the film, you know, she when she first arrived there, she was uh, pleaded for his help, and he was scared, obviously, of um, you know of, of his bosses, and and yet now he's starting to see her and seeing that he has to help this woman. Um, and this is a nice little relationship here. It's almost. And, and there was a scene. Uh, there's a scene that we cut out again for timing, which had the gypsy girl at her campsite in a little campsite in the forest and the witch and the witch hunters, the guys with the plague masks on, uh, kind of show up there and find her with her tarot cards and stuff like that. Yeah. And um and grab hold of her and then she ends up in jail. And of course, you know, it's the idea that what even the one woman who helped persecute uh Grace can be turned on by by the man. There's no there is no kind but of But then at the very end, anyone. Grace helps her. So yeah. that's another Yeah, of course. Oh, there's the hat. <laughs> he says, what torturous delights do we have in store today? Yes, I mean, you're lost. There's so much of this that seems to defy the notion that this is a low budget movie. 
you know, uh, the combination of, of the, some of the gorgeous shots that feel so leisurely and 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 interiors like this, but also the the sheer number of setups. It's like 27 days, and I don't know what the budget was, but I'm sure you made it look like 10 times what it was, uh, you know, what it actually cost. Um, I think, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I would say we definitely did make it look bigger than it, than it was. Um, I don't know, that's just, that's, it's always how I've kind of worked of trying to make my films look bigger than they are, um, defy the budgets, you know? You know, all about epic, widescreen, scale, scope, right? Trying to stage them in such a way that just keeps it looking yeah. cinematic, keeps things moving, you know, go for the big shots, don't do everything in close-ups and, and try and get through as many setups as possible. I mean, we were working hell for leather, we were getting through I don't know, like 40 setups a day, so 40 more setups a day. Um, we were moving very, very fast. And so much of that is to do with like Luke's lighting that enabled us to move around the room without having to do too many adjustments. Yeah. Because that's kind of the stuff that slows you down. But this is all about, this sequence is all about um, how Grace is you know, beginning to inspire and yeah. is clearly having an inspirational effect on Kate. This was a real dilemma here because in the writing process where, you know, the finale, like, does she, she can't confess because that just takes everything out of the movie that this is meant to be about. She can't confess. But if she doesn't confess when he threatens her child, then that makes her like a terrible human being. So we, as you can see, we don't let it get to that. So as soon as she, he says, she says, you and your daughter, because it was just going to be, well, your daughter's life, you and your daughter. That's when, you know, she just cried out and then we cut right there. Do you know what I mean? So it wasn't, because that was a dilemma, wasn't it? Where we, where we kind it, of... it was, it was a bit, of a bit of a tricky situation narratively to get around. But I mean, in this sense, he just, he just, he ignores that and just basically says, I'm going to kill you anyway. I'm going to burn your daughter anyway. Exactly. So, you know, so this is the pair of anguish and um, it's yeah. a real thing. Oh yeah. God, I was afraid uh, you were going to say that. Yeah, there's, I think there's, there is, there's an example in the Tower of London uh, or the London Dungeons or something like that. But no, it's a, it's a historically accurate device, um, presumably invented by a man. And, but then again, it wasn't necessarily just used on women. So, you know, I'll put, put that into your mind. Uh, sure, it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like angel wings. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Again. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so we built our own pair of anguish, um, and yeah, it's just it's just it's just a thing of horror, really, that somebody co you know concocted this thing in order to get people to talk. Because the horror element, it's not just the devil and the jump scares. It's it's this kind of thing that really happened, and you know, I think that's just as scary as the other horror stuff. I think it very much shows you what the where the real horror lies doesn't it? That all the yeah. kind of supernatural stuff that you can put in, even if it's just like visions, it, it, it has nothing compared to what, you know, man can do to man and man can do to women. Yeah, what we do to each other is always way worse. But this kind of sense of defiance in her, it reminded me of kind of some of the stories of the saints, you know, what they kind of endured and, yeah. you know, not just sort of being set, burned at the stake, but the torture and everything. It's like, you know, how much she's willing to endure just to, you know, so that she won't give them. No, the no, we, we, 
we intended to rewatch The Passion of the Christ before we made this, but we actually never got around to it. No, I mean, a few films that inspired me when, um, you know, during pre-production stuff, it was uh, Gladiator and Braveheart. And it was, again, it's just two very strong-minded warriors that were, were fighting back. And um, they, they were very inspiring. And The Scarlet Letter, actually. Yeah, you were saying about the sa the saints before. It just made me think that this device or whatever was like a little bit similar to where we get the Catherine wheel from. Mm. Yeah, the Saint Catherine, or whatever. She was strapped to some wheel, and then they did something freaking horrendous with her. <laughs> again, little woman. We're doing it to another woman. And then I, and I like I like oh, yeah that Pertwee is is. He like feels her pain. He's like he's holding onto her hand, and I, and I wanted to kind of emulate. It was almost like a very twisted version of like the husband holding onto the wife's hand during childbirth. It's like the the the, the reverse of that, yeah. and in a some twisted way, um, that he 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 so he he like almost he cares for her. He wants to save her from the devil and evil, um, but, but you the only way he can do it is is by torturing her. Yeah, look, he still wants more. But we, uh, Pendleton still wants more. <laughs> Sorry, Charlotte and the pair of you. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's just letting Pendleton letting rip. But this who, who else? Important. He doesn't even give her a chance to confess, even if she wanted to for a baby. It was yeah. just no. It's too late now. I think that but that was important. Sorry, but but that who else could suffer that much and not be a witch? It's like, oh god, you know, on the on day four, they've come up with some new angle now that she could only yeah. take it. This she can only endure because she's a witch. It's proof. Yeah. The husband yeah. before that, yeah. the, oh, you, the husband died because of you, and it's just she can't win. And even even if she comes, that, that's the thing. It's like they they tw they will twist it every day in order to make it so she can't win. Yeah, and so even defying them, even not confessing is a way to prove your witch. It's like one way or another, they're going to say you're a witch no matter what you do. This is a great moment here and gets a lot of cheers. It and... usually gets a big cheer, yeah. Um, not that moment, obviously, um, no. in a minute. But uh, just the notion of she's inspired Kate to fight back as well. Yeah. And I think this, we shot this at the, this was, we shot this at the end of the, the very first day of filming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the sun, the sun was going down. We had to get the first scene with the wagon, this scene, and another scene at the end of the film all on the first day. So it was, we were we were running at full sprint, like literally from day one. We go, this is the moment right here. Uh, what are you going to do with that? You're just a woman, huh? Mm, she, uses, she, can do, she uses brains over brawn. Exactly. She can do quite a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I had to do I had to get something in there for the for the for the Blood and Guts fans. By by my own standards, this film is fairly tame, so yeah. I had to do something like really. And you really couldn't have made it happen to a nicer guy as well. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly got his. But I, as soon as you did that little pan up to the horse's uh, flank, I, you know what's going to happen, and you just you can't wait for it. But it was, but then it shocks you with the sort of violence of it. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty great <laughs> moment. Yeah, but he had it coming. So there you go. And this is like the moment she's just got nothing to lose at this point. I'm about to die, like literally tomorrow, and her strength just. 
her inner strength, because she's got no physical strength. Her inner strength is the thing that just takes her over the line. And I think I think the way that we you know we wrote it was that like she comes up with like sort of like the first half of a plan to escape, but not yeah. but she doesn't have a full plan. Yeah, she's like because it goes it kind of goes wrong anyway. But it's like I've got the first idea to escape, but we're like I think I can manage to get in the room with Moorcroft. Um, and maybe we can poison Moorcroft, but that's about as far as my plan goes. Yeah. Like, don't I don't, I don't even think that she expects to be able to escape, uh, but at the very least, maybe if she can distract Moorcroft, then Edwin can save her baby. She can't think straight. You know, she's kind of differing. She, she can't sleep. She hasn't slept. She hasn't eat. She's being tortured. She's, she's still trying to figure out a plan. And, um, and she has to adjust that plan as it goes. Because the best laid plans, you know, they, they always go wrong. Oh, yes. It's crazy, Rick. Um, he yeah, he yeah, always think, predicts everything, Rick. <laughs> yeah. And you were asking before about where did we find uh, Callum, and, and the same goes for uh, Indiana, who's uh, uh, the young girl in the other cell. Um, we just we just auditioned a lot of people. We um, Jeremy Zimmerman, our casting director, like uh, brought in a whole bunch of people, and... And these two just like really popped, you know. I mean, Callum, as soon as he walked in the room, was like, "Oh yeah, we found our Edwin, yeah. like a hundred percent, exactly as I had in mind when we wrote it." Ooh, um, look at that. And and Indiana, um, she, I can't remember what her character name is. Um, yeah, complete blind. Oh. Astrid, is it? Astrid. Astrid, there you go. Um, Told you I watched it a few times. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and she just had this had this kind of like artful dodger kind of vibe about her that just yeah. worked really well for for that character. So yeah, we found some real real gems. Oh, this is a other oh, good moment here. Yeah, yeah. So again, this is where her, sta yeah, this her is plan starts to unravel in a way of like, oh, but she wasn't expecting Abby. Oh, he's got the baby. Okay. <laughs> This is a little bit where you, he does become slightly. You see a little bit of a sadistic side to him, I think. Here, like just in one minute, when when she says, you know, please give me my baby, and he, um, no, sorry, when he takes the baby off her, and you kind of he gives her this look, this sadistic look. Yeah, um, she's colourless. Yeah, it's just one moment the, where the, 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 the sorry, I don't want to deviate from the from the moment, but. but the whole thing with the poison in the in the in the chalice or the flagon um, was kind of semi tribute to or inspired by um, great Danny Kay movie, The Court Jester, because um, you'll see later on that the flagon with the dragon has the pellet with the poison and the, the mm. pestle with the vessel. <laughs> the vessel with the pestle is the brew that is true. Brew that is true. Yes. Well, there is there isn't a vessel with the pestle, but there is a flagon with the dragon. And, <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, it was just like I knew the poison was going to come into it, so I just couldn't resist having a flagon with the dragon. Look, he's just why not? Amazing. He's just giving up. He just anyway. agreed for Ursula to have Abby, which is one thing, one good thing, I guess. And, this, and it's like a compromise. It's like okay, you, your baby's going to get to live, but it's going to be brought up by a fanatic. So you know, there you go. That's your choice. 
and and the choice is either that or having the child murdered to sever the bloodline, as he says earlier. You know that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that look. That look. That, that look he look just. Sure. That look he just gave her yeah. was. And it, and he and it, that's his whole thing. Is like, okay, well, your mom was a witch, you're a witch, so I'm gonna have to kill the kid because it's just inevitable. What's gonna happen next? Well, she because remember he doesn't know at this point that she knows who that who he is. Yeah, that she yeah. killed her mother. And we was touring the idea actually with the writing. Uh, we were writing it that oh, should, should 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 she tell him earlier or should he know and not her? Should he tell her later on? But yeah. We, we thought uh, this would be the most powerful way to do it. And this is actually my last, this is actually my favourite part, literally the last 20 minutes of the film where it's just relentless and it's all action and she gets her revenge. This is like my favourite part of the whole film. This part here, where it gets full on action. Mother's here, that's pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's like future Norman Bates child. <laughs> yeah. I feel at this point that, that we're kind of approaching the 90 minute mark and, and obviously there's so much pressure particularly on films at the at the lower end of the budget scale or genre films or whatever to kind of come in at a tight 90 but I feel like there isn't really anything because this of all the flashbacks and you know there isn't really anything that you could feel like you could kind of comfortably cut out and I'm sort of so glad that it takes this long to build up it's almost like the difference between watching an old TV show that was like a 44 minute hour and watching something like Game of Thrones or Black Sails where you've got like a full, you, you feel like you, yeah. you're you allowed to take your time, you know, I'm glad it kind of doesn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't rush. See, this, is some, this is something she did not plan for. Well, uh, you have to cheers with me and, and drink the poison. And again, this is just goes to show she's, she still potentially plans on dying tomorrow. She's, she's going to drink it because if she doesn't, the whole plan's going to go south very quickly and she's doing it all for her daughter whatever she can do she's gonna she figure she's probably gonna die anyway yeah so what what the hell she got to lose and then we're told with the idea of it uh, being poisoned because later on you find out that actually it's not but uh but yeah you're right about the in terms of the the length of the film as as we you know, we did cut out a few scenes even to get it down to this length and, and keep it as tight as possible. But, um, and I don't, the script was only, I think it was the script was only like 90 to 100 pages long, not 100 pages long, I think the script was, just under 98, something like that. So it didn't read that it was that long, really. And it, I don't think it plays like a long film. I just, we're very familiar with it, but it's, um, I think it's a slow build to a very, very satisfying finale. And, and then a lot of twists along the way that, you know, like I said, this plan doesn't go as you think it's going to do. There's that whole thing about drinking the wine, a bit of cat and mouse going on there. And then there's uh, a nice twist, you know, coming up any yeah, second did, now. Did the audience really think she really was going to confess? <laughs> and okay, and she, the spikes. Yeah. And how long did she have the spikes in her hand for? Or did they just appear because she's a witch because <laughs> you know a lot of audiences when they watch this actually do believe she's she is a witch mm, this is powerful stuff i like this notion of her having a captive audience by literally nailing them to the table yeah i've not, I've not seen that before <laughs> this must have been a fun scene to play with with, with sean as well 
Oh yeah. As the worm turns. Oh look at this. This is he a... literally was spent you know a day with his hands stuck to a table. How disgusting <laughs> is this? It's so, <laughs> look at this, this scene here. It's so Harvey Weinstein, isn't it? I don't care who you are. If you're if you've got the if you're a woman, I will uh, take you. Ugh, disgusting. Oh, now she's got him. So yeah, he was he, he does remember. I do remember yeah. your mother. But but he didn't know until she reminded him, of yeah. course. Yeah. She's I remember this what is that the stench she burned. Yeah. That's great. I think Sean made that one up. <laughs> yeah, there's a few improvs here. There's a few improvs in there, <laughs> but that was a that was a gem. That's not his hat, is it? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look so long. <laughs> and Sean, as Sean told us, I think it was, that uh, the sets that we were working on, he'd, he'd worked there on the very same set about 25 years ago um, in Cadfile, that TV series with Derek Jacobi, as oh, the detective wow. monk, on, this, on these very same sets. So these, these sets have stood around for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just I hear John every time I hear Sean. And, and uh, you know, as someone who grew up on John Pertwee's Doctor Who, he just Sean yeah. always has a place in my heart because he's got that same voice as his dad, you know. He has. When he does his Wurzel Gummidge impersonation, that's pretty astonishing. Oh, um, I've never seen that. No place for that in this film, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. He, yeah, he, he did a great he did a great gag on, on the Dog Soldiers set, I think it was. Yeah, he, when he was... Uh, oh, what was it? Oh, because um, Kevin had actually punched him in the nose by accident uh, <laughs> during the scene where he was drunk in bed. Um, and Kev punched him in the face by accident. And uh, we called cut and somebody said, uh, somebody said, is there a doc? Is, is a can we get the doctor in? And Sean just very dryly turned around and said, my dad's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Brought the house down. I like the way uh, she flips it all on him now, where it's like, no more secrets, no more lies. It's uh, turning yes. the tables now. It's oh, this Ed, is great. Edwin Master of Stealth. <laughs> yeah. Probably the furniture. I was oh, going to ask you, actually, if there was, um, if you had much trouble raising the, the money for the film. <laughs> um, or or right, that, I should put it a different way. How much trouble did you have raising money for the film? Probably a better question. It certainly was. It certainly was not easy. Well, because people see, oh, it's a period. Oh, that's not so commercial. It's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> it's a horror film, and it's a historic drama as as much as a horror film. And you know, with, in terms of, I think with with um, yeah, period pieces, it just makes it that that more compelling, and especially if it's a, you know based on true events. Um, people love period stuff. Yeah, um, I think you know studio execs don't like period stuff, but the audiences do. Oh, they like it if it's and, like woman in black kind of period stuff, and they can look, they can point to something and say, "Oh, if you said it in the, you know, Victorian yeah. times or the early yeah. part of the twentieth century, they they jump on it because they're a sort of they've got precedents to point to that that were that were hits." But this is a yeah, tricky makes, period. Makes it easier if it's, but if we had told period, them you know. there's a play coming, so it's going to be uh, pretty relevant. <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is this is the bit here where the uh, 
but I mean, suffice to say, it went through a few financial iterations before yeah. we made it. But that said, we wrote it in 2018 and we shot it in 2019. So um, by film standards, that's pretty fast. That's pretty fast. Very, very fast. That's that's great. Six years for Dog Soldiers. Six years from script to screen. So from yeah. here onwards is the... So this is, the, yeah, this was like, you know, a chance for Charlotte to do her first fight scene, really. Yeah. A lot of things scene. I was like, oh no, I think my stunt double should do that, or I don't know if I can do it. And the moment I got into it, I, I absolutely loved it and really, really, really enjoyed it. You know, you, you and uh, Suzanne, who plays Ursula, just really got into this whole thing. And we had I a think little bit like, of rehearsing, there's, there's not like much. A couple of shots with the stunt double. I think it's like yeah. mainly when she gets set on fire, but um, everything else is like just, just you guys like going for it. We had like, I think, a couple of hours to rehearse the previous day. Yeah, we kind of figured kind it out. Designed. You want it just to be as rough and as designed it and just made it kind of fast and furious and, and yeah. no, you know, like no karate or jujitsu or anything like that. It was no, just like just too regular. pushing and shoving and scratching and poking in the eyes and just use whatever's handy. And how ironic, huh? She's gonna get burnt. This moment here, you know, where I see her actually get burnt, I, I do, as you can see in my reaction, I actually do feel I wanted to help her even though she was you know she's my enemy and so forth i really didn't want this to happen to her but she drove me to it <laughs> she drove maybe, me to maybe it. that's the, maybe it was inevitable it was like you know yeah they had she had to finish the burn well i think you do see grace's humanity there don't you as you get kind of three shots of her looking in yeah you yeah. know in with her empathy and, and this this stuff i guess basically from now on it, it it was very much like going full on kind of last of the Mohicans and, and we pay a bit of tribute to that with the music as well. I yeah. wanted it to be rousing. I wanted there to be a point coming up pretty much now where it becomes very rousing of like, wow, she could actually win this thing. She could get out now. <laughs> yeah. She could turn this thing on its head. And start to, start to get full on revenge. She nailed him good. Yeah. Did she know there wasn't a bullet in there? That's the big question. <laughs> That's a, that a good question, yeah. A little bit of CG fire there. We couldn't quite do that size flames on the set, but we did have some uh, interactive flames and the stunt woman on fire, of course. Yeah. He's not going down. Piss. <laughs> <laughs> going, oh, this is a great moment here. And this is was it poisoned wasn't it um yeah so the, yeah and this was that thing of like we talked we went backwards and forwards in the script several times of like was it poisoned is she sacrificing herself should she die at the end and i kind of thought well given the amount that she's been through it would be too much to kill her at the end yeah and i love this notion that she drops the portcullis only to find out the the, the wine wasn't poisoned it was like oh bugger yeah, I think this this film, she goes through too much for it for, for us to justify and say, oh, yeah, but she had to go through that to, to help other women because that isn't quite a true. And um, things didn't really get better after this. And again, it's not based on one true story. Yeah. So, um, so I'm glad she survived. I think she needed to survive at the end. And and then then it's like you, you almost like write yourself into a corner of like, okay, she's not poisoned, but she's dropped the poor colours. Yeah. How am I going to get her out of the castle? How is she going to escape? 
and uh, and then it kind of like thought, well, what about the well that we established a well earlier on? The well connects to the river. Maybe she could go out the well rather rather than have her like jump off the battlement or something. But um, but it was it was literally I didn't I didn't know how we were going to get her out of the castle when we when yeah. when we we wrote a trap there. And how he was going to find Kate. I think, yeah, uh, Chris's music just excels at this point. Oh. It's just like, it really gets the blood pumping. You didn't have any trouble with the portcullis like you did with the drawbridge, I'm, I'm pleased to see. Uh, no, that portcullis was, the shot where it comes down was just some random B camera shot that we, uh, we got of it coming down toward camera. And I speeded it up and added some effect to it, but that was the one and only time it would, would come down again. Then it was broken from then on. So again, it was a case of like, thank God we got shot. that take, yeah. yeah. The old blunderbuss. And every time I see a gun in this film, I, I, it reminds me that it's not the Middle Ages or the medieval period. And it's, it's kind of another surprise again, you know, that you're in the 17th century, yeah, it's actually. It's slightly contradictory because the, the dungeon itself is very medieval. Yeah, as you say, they would reuse what they had. Yeah, it's just, it's just using that at the time. And he's terrified of her and just, Gave her the keys immediately. He's not going to take the chance. <laughs> not going to take the chance. Yeah, I think partly terrified, partly feel sorry for her and wants to get the hell out of there. She spent the entire film in that tiny little cell. Bless her. And she again, she doesn't get more than 20 feet. <laughs> oh, unlucky. Oh, especially with this one here. I mean, you know, just goes to show who Grace is as a, as a human. She just, this girl helped put her in jail, but she, she wants to help her. Oh, this is terrible. Uh, Grace doesn't save um, Reverend Malcolm, but then um, I don't think he cares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She just, well, we don't know. Yeah, we do know. Yeah, we yeah. do know. But, but you don't think he, I, I guess. Don't, I don't think he minds. <laughs> I think he's out of his head. He's too far so this at is, this point, isn't he? I think so. There's no, there's no saving it. But it is predict pretty much everything that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So your first sort of involvement in a sword fight and had great fun filming this. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Over a few days. Was this before you'd um, you shot almost cutting the stuntman's head off though, doing the doing the rope scene? Because you said that was filmed quite a bit later. Uh, this was this was before that, but I suppose you know she well she does get to pick up a sword <laughs> in a minute. Never them. So the stuntmen weren't, weren't nervous of you at this point, Charlotte? No, no, the, the stuntmen didn't <laughs> know to be afraid at this point. That's true, there isn't actually much sword fighting here. You did do some practicing though, but um, you didn't want much, you know, you didn't you want it to be as real as possible, didn't well, you? Didn't, uh, you, you? You were never going to be like a sword expert, but um, I didn't think you had to be an expert to you know, chop his head off. I love this. My favourite line in the movie: "You you stole all the mercy from my heart." I think that's yeah. it just shows her arc and who she was at the beginning and where she is now. And no way is she going to let him go. And even in his last breath, you witch. Hey, <laughs> off yeah. with his head. And yeah, that was just like some really ropey dummy that we had, and managed to get a blood pump and. Prop it up with some sticks and 
and he knocked its head off. And yeah, I love this. It we works had, in the edit. We edited this as well in the um, the devil here. I was like, yeah, he needs to see the devil here. Can't just be a just before he dies. He has well, to see the it, devil. It, it came full circle because it was that notion of her husband killing himself. It was the it's the work of the devil and and the ultimate sin. And so he because he tries to commit suicide to stop himself from because. Obviously, he thinks he's poisoned at this point as well. So it's not just a case that he could pull that thing out of his hand and leave. He does think he's poisoned, so he's going to die anyway. So he thinks technically he's not committing suicide because he's... But, you know, the, devil's, the devil would see it differently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess I just realised at this point you don't hear or see Reverend at all, do you? <laughs> no, he's... I guess he's passed he's, out at this point. Yeah, he's having a nap. <laughs> I love the fact you've got the the great dress at this point as well. It's like that extra. Oh yeah. So that that little shot just then of like her turning her head toward camera, that was actually uh, when we shot that little outtake in the field, and I just shouted at Charlotte something, and she turned to look at the camera. It wasn't meant to be a take, but it was like when she said when he calls out Grace, I just thought, what if this figment in her mind turns its head, and it just it works. It just looked really cool. Yeah. This was, then, yeah, down the well. this was the last shot and the last day of being in the cells, wasn't it? Yeah, and that well is really only like three feet deep, so <laughs> you're literally just cowering behind the wall there. It's good, you make it look, make it look good. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where are these little um, woodcuts from, by the way? I wonder, wonder who made them. Uh, I just found them online. They're, they're authentic wood th woodcuts from the period oh, depicting... Wow. Uh, depicting the devil and witches and all that. So again, this 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 scene was the last scene that we shot on the first day of filming. Mm -hmm. uh, this whole scene here, just as the sun was going down and we were running out of light, but gave it that lovely kind of warmth, that, that vibe to it that is, you know, we're playing it as dawn. Um, I guess she's just, she sat out there all night. Completely, Next yeah. to her dead husband, despondent and... Thinking you don't see him in this shot, though, do you? Because she's fully expecting that, you know, in this world of male persecution, having killed her husband, and, you know, she's just probably going to hang for that. That's the way it is, but at least she killed her husband. Yeah. I'm surprised Edwin doesn't actually react to the... <laughs> he he, he kind of looks down at the mess on the floor. He's like, ooh. Yeah. That's nice. It's a little subplot that they're going to go away and have a new life together and raise Abby. I don't really see them as like a. Oh no, not a couple. couple. <laughs> no, 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 not a couple, not a couple, but new lives, friends. Survivors. This is great here. Where surrogate survivor family. And yeah, I wanted to put in a little bit of the factual stuff about the the half a million women, mostly women, not all women, but you know, were killed and like the last one in Britain anyway was. 1727 Jane Horn, she was that stripped that's terrible stripped naked and covered in tar and set on fire i mean holy shit. so i guess that wasn't a trial that was you're definitely a witch because there's no way she's gonna yeah through that much that was her execution and so this shot was our last shot on the last day of filming yeah that's pretty the last cool. thing that we did and this was the first take and we did it about four times I was like, yeah. oh, God, it's going to be freezing. And there was a guy there in the river saying, just in case you drown, because you're... you've got a heavy dress on, you yeah. might sink. And I um, absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. And we did seven takes and ended up using the first one. 
Oh, it's such a great shot to finish on, though. So defiant. It, there was part of me that was wondering, as you started to pan down from the castle, I thought she was going to burst out of the water. And then I thought, oh, no, that's the ending of the descent. So you, you probably no, can't do that again. <laughs> Coming up for air, uh, you know, that gasp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's the, that's the, um, I think it's not the ending of the descent, it's the beginning of the descent, too, which doesn't connect to the descent at all. Um, oh, right. Yes, of course. And then the ending yeah. is completely different in the American version as well, which is always confusing. Yeah, totally. I mean, we did we did a few variations of staggering from the water, but I think with that dress on, you couldn't actually sink. It kept on inflating. So yeah, it did. You couldn't get. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't want it to have like the you know Friday the Thirteenth bursting out of the water kind of thing. No, it was enough and this just is what to we see wanted to avoid the staggering whole, onto the riverbank. And this is what we wanted to avoid the whole way through, not the Carrie esque feel and the the you know we wanted terrifying moments but in other ways in in real in real ways not just yeah that the that ending is focus, way more focus it's more about it, it's more heroic it's more resilient it's like you say she's just standing there defiant don't evoke and although <laughs> she's not with her child her child is safe and then you know let's maybe assume that they they'll be reunited at some point somehow yeah and and survival is part of the defiance isn't it? She kind of, I know you went back and forth on this, but she kind of has to survive at the end, you know, not just to make it all yeah. worthwhile, but for all the survivors. Absolutely. Yeah, I know she's, she's suffered plenty. She, um, she needed to survive because it's, a, yeah, because they say it's, it's this, as you say, it's about survivors. And we, we, we certainly like had in mind a, a continuation of the story. I don't know. You know, and it, it, if we'd ever get to do a sequel, but uh, we came up with the idea for the sequel, which would be that she manages to track down um, the, the the baby and the rest of them, and they've gone to London, and they end up in London the following summer and end up getting caught in the fire of London, pursued by um, <laughs> you know, uh, pursued by people like Moorcroft who assume that as since she's the only survivor of this massacre at the castle she must be even more of a witch by this point and she's 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 public enemy number one so she's a wanted and she's hunted by all these like witch finders who track her down to london and it all kicks off in london with the great fire we thought that could be you know that could be fun but who knows if we'll ever get to make is there any chance of us seeing the duchess perhaps before we see the reckoning to return to pudding lane uh, we sincerely hope so uh, that you know, that is the plan. We have we're doing another film first called The Lair, um, which is more of an action horror movie. Shooting in um, June, kind of like a, a aliens meets dog soldiers, and then after that we want to do Duchess. Um, so we're just in the process now of like you know trying to put together the finance for that, so we can shoot it either at the very end of this year or the beginning of next year. But yeah, we Duchess, Duchess is our baby, so it's going to happen one way or another. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, another horror film in the summer and then a duchess at the end of end of the year or early next year amazing so could you tell us anything more about the lair um well it, it's set in afghanistan and wow. deals with there's it's a monster movie there's going to be some monsters running around afghanistan <laughs> <laughs> but not the uh, not the us forces uh well there are no there's us forces and british forces and we want to play with a little bit of the Kind of culture clash between them so yeah oh it's a lot of fun. that sounds really good well thanks so much for doing this guys that was really uh really super appreciated and uh hope you didn't mind watching it yet again as it's really interesting actually just watching it visually 
um, and you know with no sound. It flew by actually. I wasn't. I was like. I was dreading having to fill the space. <laughs> but like I was thinking, no, no, it's just loads to talk about. So yeah, I hope we covered all the bases. Thanks for listening to Rogue Commentary, a synchronicity production produced and mixed by Sam Ibrahim with music by Oli Oja. We'll be back with another exclusive audio commentary soon, so please subscribe, rate us, and most importantly, tell your fellow film fans that Rogue Commentary is a thing. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for news about upcoming episodes, and if you have any suggestions for future contributors, email us at david at rogue-commentary.com. Bye! <laughs>